This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of PlantYourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a better and braver life. One item of business today before we get to the episode, and that is a big one. The Big Change Program has officially reopened as of three and a half minutes ago. I fiddled with all the code, and you can now find the sign-up buttons at bigchangeprogram.com. In case you're not familiar with it, the Big Change Program is led by me and Josh Lajani, who has been very busy lately. He was on Good Morning America in the fall. He was just on the Today Show. And the story is no longer about how Josh transformed himself, which was the story in Runner's World. It's now how he's helping hundreds and now thousands of others transform themselves, losing hundreds of pounds, turning into athletes, reversing chronic disease, and feeling generally awesome about themselves. If you want in-depth coaching from Josh, if you want hand-holding, if you want daily support from him and me, um, the Big Change Program has the monopoly on Josh Lajani. If you don't know who he is, um, I discovered him through Garth Davis, who discovered him through Rich Roll. Josh was on Rich's podcast twice, one of the most popular guests Rich has ever had. He's a former 420-pound, hard-drinking, hard-eating, ex-high school football player from the bio of Louisiana, who's now a competitive ultra-marathoner and inspiration to tens of thousands. And here's why Josh's teachings are so powerful. It's because he's living it himself. He's not a professional health educator. He's not a doctor. He's a regular guy running his two businesses. He owns and manages a trailer park, and he runs a private sewer company. Often when I call him up, he's in the middle of pulling some nasty stuff out of a drain or a pump motor. And in spite of this grueling schedule and lots of setbacks and lots of stresses in his life, he managed to turn it around. He managed to go from obese to fit, from miserable to thoroughly happy with himself. And since his appearances on Good Morning America and today, he's become an informal mentor to thousands of people. I've seen his message feed in Facebook. Thousands and thousands of people want to know what they can do to get their lives back. And he's giving as much as he can, directing people to the secret Facebook group for the Missing Chins Run Club. But this is the place, the Big Change Program, where we can have his full attention and his personal guidance. So the Big Change Program is an intensive 12-week program with an additional nine months optional follow-up. And it's designed to help you overcome all your behavioral challenges, as in you know what to do and you're having trouble doing it, so that you can get to your ideal weight and become the lean, healthy athlete that we're all capable of becoming. Now, I've just opened it up, as I said, and the program starts officially on February 5th, 2018. And the doors will close again on February 2nd. So you have a few days to go to bigchangeprogram.com, read all about it. You can sign up for the test drive and sign up for your seat as long as there are some left. Okay, now let's talk about today's episode, which fittingly is about someone's big change. My guest is Brian Falchuk. And from the moment his parents' marriage fell apart, he turned into the fat kid. In a world that was largely out of his control, food was the one thing he could control. 
and the one thing that could soothe his deep hurts and anxieties. And every day, Brian woke up and was determined to lose weight. And 20 minutes later, he'd be elbow deep in the foods he'd sworn to give up. And he experienced himself as someone who was untrustworthy, someone who lacked agency and control over his own life, someone to whom life just happened. And despite all this, Brian managed to muddle through. He got married. He got a good job. He had a kid. He had turned into enough of an ex exerciser to slim down from obese to standard American, which is to say 40 pounds overweight, but wearing it pretty well. And he might well have continued this way indefinitely and lived the typical American decline into chronic disease managed by legal drugs and the just below the surface emotional anguish managed by food, media and other legal drugs. Then his wife became gravely ill and Brian realized that he might lose her and that his two-year-old son would experience a childhood trauma possibly even deeper than his own. So on June 30th, 2011, when he entered his bedroom and found his son watching his mother die, he realized that he had to change himself, to take charge of his actions, to give up being miserable, always unpleasant and stressed and on a short fuse, to become the father that his little boy deserved and the husband his wife absolutely needed if she were to have any chance at getting better. On July 1st, he woke up with a new identity. And armed with only this, Brian began the long, hard work of remaking himself. His story is both inspiring and instructive. And so without further ado, Brian Falchuk, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Howard. So we were just uh, pre-talking pre about uh, your story, and you have been on a bunch of other podcasts. And so today we're, we're going we're gonna to look at your story. It's extremely inspiring for people. And not, not only that, you've written about it in a, in a beautiful book, Do a Day, How to Live a Better Life Every Day, in a way that I think you know, it shows a lot of, um, of wisdom and insight and reflection so that your transformation journey can inspire other people. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, that's what I was going for with the book. It's, um, it's, it's not terribly long. It's something that hopefully people can take in and start to feel something about their own life and how they can live it differently. Right. Well, it's, it's like when I, when I talk about my friend, Sid Garza Hillman, it's a, it's a, a ass pocket book. Right? <laughs> it's, it fits really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can take it with you and it's, and it's a soft cover. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, whatever your curves, it will it will accommodate. But let's start with uh, with your story. I mean, I love I love to start there with people, sure. Um, especially when you know the story is as deliciously miserable in places as yours was. Yeah, I mean that's like we all go through different things, and uh, I would just say up front, mine is not better or worse than anyone else's. It's mine, and it's relevant to me. But you know, we all have experiences and. Um, for me, it started really young. I've got sort of two key things to my backstory. And the first is you know, I was the youngest of four kids. Um, my parents, uh, I, I was the marriage saver and my parents got divorced. So that was my first failure in life. Ugh. Um, how, how old were you when you failed at that? I was, uh, well, if you look at photos of me from age four, I was this skinny, smiley little kid. And if you look at pictures of me from like five and a half or six, I was obese and not smiling anymore. And oh. so it was somewhere in uh, in in between that where their marriage started to come apart um and and that's exactly you know I, I broke the story just now but that's exactly what happened is you know i like little kids need one thing they need to feel safe and secure and taken care of and 
in the situation I was in, that wasn't the case. You know, my parents were fighting a lot and things were unstable and, um, you know, they were dealing with their stuff plus four kids. So, you know, I, I wasn't getting the attention and the stability and little kids don't understand what to do with those feelings. So I turned to something that wasn't screaming, wasn't moving out, wasn't judging me, wasn't, you know, any of that. And that's food. Like it was always there. It was always comfortable. And, um, it, it wasn't a slowly but surely kind of thing. It was really, really fast where I went from, like I said, this little skinny, smiley kid that I don't even recognize when I see those pictures into this, you know, round little ball of depression, really, um, anxiety, unhappiness, all of it, because I, I felt that things were not stable. And um, that continued all through my childhood. Uh, and it wasn't until high school, this amazing man who actually just ran into randomly last night, um, but he ran the PE program at my high school. And um, he just took a totally different approach to exercise, which to me was always punishment and judgment. And, you know, it's here's the fat kid. He's not going to be able to run or what are you lazy? You know, why can't you do this? Why are you wheezing? He was just like, you know, let's try different things and see what you enjoy. And when you have a win, he'd call it out. And when you didn't, it's interesting. He never used negative talks. He wouldn't say that's bad or you failed. It was. It would be like, oh, that's not good. Or, you know, let, let's see where we can have a success elsewhere. It's like little things like that. But it just, it was totally different from anything I had experienced around wellness before. And um, I was able to lose weight with his help. And that's great. And I got a very different relationship with exercise. The problem was... I wasn't obese because I was eating too much and moving too little. I was obese because of the underlying emotional problems. And that's the so, one thing he didn't face with me because, you know, it really wasn't his place. Yeah. So, so let me stop you there. Like, we're, at what point were you trying to lose weight? Did you feel, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure how old you yeah. are, so I can't put kind of a, a year into it. You know, there's really different, um, you know, kind of demographics of obesity in the, you know, the seventies and the eighties, sure. the nineties. Um, this is the eighties. Um, I'm about 40. Um, okay. So, so I, I was about a hundred pounds overweight. Okay. So like in, in high school. Yeah. So from, you know, elementary school, middle school into high school, I lost weight, um, starting the summer after my junior year. Uh huh. And were you, so at that point, were you like, what was your relationship to your identity as the fat kid? Oh, it was, I mean, it was miserable. So I, you asked me, when was I trying to lose weight? I was always trying to lose weight. It was pretty much every morning I'd wake up and have that talk with myself about how I need to stop. And you're not going to eat that stuff today. And within, you know, 20 minutes, I'd already had two bagels and, you know, whatever else. Like it, it just never lasted. I felt horrible about myself and everyone mm -hmm. around me was either directly contributing to that with their ridicule and, and, you know, name calling and whatever, or I just presumed they were. And so I was sort of like using them as a puppet for my own self judgment, you know, sort of putting it in their mouth and, and playing it out on their behalf. But I remember, um, I went to summer camp in, in new England and it was super hot and they put all of the fat kids together in a relay or not a relay race, just a race around the track. We had a, a track meet. And um, the entire camp, so like 200 and some on kids, stood around this uh, oval track laughing at us, like pointing and laughing. It was the worst. And, and I got to the finish line. I may have been last. I have no idea. But I passed out on the finish line. I, was, I woke up in the camp lake. 
they're trying to revive me because my core temperature had gotten so hot. Mm. Um, so that, like, that was my childhood. So I always, you know, just my sense of self, my self image was pretty terrible. Wow. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I was a skinny kid, you know, all through high school and college. I'm, I'm picturing myself being one of the kids caught up in the jeering. And yeah, I, I don't blame any of them. You know, I mean, it just sort of happens, and I'm sure it was amusing, and it sucked. You know, and it's yeah. funny. Like every time I go for a run, there's a little part of me that twinges and has a little bit of anxiety. It's like you can't run. Like I've run a marathon, I've run a bunch of races. I can run. You know, it's not an issue anymore. Um, but there's always a part of me that I think carries that scar. And at least I'm aware of it and I don't let it get the better of me. But emotion's a powerful thing, you know, and that's what drove it for me originally. Right. And, you know, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but obviously you're not on this interview because you're still 100 pounds overweight. So, you know, it's, it's not like a huge spoiler. Yeah. But that a lot of people, you know, that, that you have, you know, dealt with this stuff and, and, and built a beautiful life. And, you know, a lot of people feel like, you know, when you're scarred as a child, it's kind of too, too deeply ingrained, too soon to ever really recover from. So it's, it's beautiful to hear that, you, you know, you have and, and that it's, it's, it, was, it's, it doesn't sound like it was magical either. No. Like, you know, it's like you just, you know, shook the Etch-A-Sketch. Yeah. Um, that, that there's still these twinges and scars and, and it's about doing in spite of it yeah absolutely i mean there's there's no quick fix as much as we may we may want it um so i'm i'm reading this book by a buddhist monk and she just she summed it up perfectly she's like we often expect fast food enlightenment but profound changes occur gradually and it's absolutely true so i you know i said i lost weight uh, between that junior and senior year in, in high school and i finished losing it through the end of high school um but I gained it back later and it took me into my twenties till I started to gain it back. But I never looked obese again. I just looked American. Like I looked like everybody <laughs> else, but I was, um, I should be about 180, and I had been 270, like somewhere in the two seventies. I stopped weighing myself at 248 as a kid. Cause I just couldn't take it anymore. But I know uh -huh. like my, you know, my pants size kept going up. So I was probably 260, 270, 275, somewhere around there. I got up to uh, 222. By the time I was 32, I had a two-year-old son. For some reason, the number two is coming up the law right now. Um, so what, my son was two, and my wife, the summer of 2011, um, became really sick with a chronic illness that we didn't know she had. Now we do. Um, and I, I'll say going into this, she's still alive today, and that matters in this story. And sometimes I forget to say that and, and uh, leave the audience hanging. But um, she got really sick. And it got to the point where her doctors gave up on her. She was bedridden. She had wasted away to just over 100 pounds. She was losing two pounds a day. And um, her primary care doctor called me on June 30th. And he was like, I'm going on vacation for six weeks. Let's check in when I'm back. And I said, six weeks? You know, she's losing two pounds a day. And it's not stopping. You, you don't know what's going on. You think she's just depressed or she's doing this to herself. Like, what are we supposed to do? And he goes, oh, just take her to the ER if you need to. Mm. And um, that's when everything became clear to me. And it was in that moment that my, my life really shifted. So that's just over six years ago now. Um, that's the point where 
the profound change began. That's the point where I actually addressed the underlying reasons why I was obese in the first place. That's the point where I was willing to face those childhood scars to actually start to make change. And that's, that's where my book comes from. That's where the, the philosophy that I live comes from. That's where the coaching work that I do really stems from. It started the next morning, July 1st, 2011. Uh, so I want to go back a little bit. I had a couple of, of notes of, of questions. So it, what you said when you were trying to lose weight and talking to yourself every morning, you said, I was not going to eat that stuff today. What was your plan? Like, what was that stuff? Like, yeah, you know, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a plan and that was part of the problem, but that stuff is like, I'm not, I'm not a candy guy. I'm more of a dessert person. And there's lots of different forms of dessert in our lifestyle, like breakfast Danish. Like uh-huh. that's a dessert. Like, I don't know who you're kidding. That's pastry, you know, back breakfast pastry, I guess is the official name. Um, right. so, you know, it's, it's either that or it's just too much. I could just have too much of everything. Like I, I would get to the point where my stomach hurt so much from being so full and I just keep going. It's like, there was no off switch. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. Like, I, I don't know if it's because of, you know, post-divorce, a lot of families have financial troubles. Like, I don't know if it was this sense of scarcity. And so it's like, if it's in front of you, you have to eat it. Like I do yeah. particularly bad with buffets or like free meals, you know, Fork's got like a catered lunch. I'll eat every last scrap that I can. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I've been like that, and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't grow up in scarcity. And there was always, I never, there was always plenty of food. I mean, there was, there was scarcity, but it wasn't food scarcity. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that there was for us either. So we had bare cupboards, but um, there was a lot of insecurity in the situation, and I felt that I'm, I'm kind of a fixer by nature or by nurture because of the situation. But um, there are a lot of cases where I had to step in as a kid to make sure things were okay either for myself or for the bigger picture. And that's kind of the way I'm wired as a result. It's not all bad. It means I'm really self-sufficient. It means I'm dependable. It means, you know, when the chips are down, I can make things okay. And that's really valuable. But it also means I've got this anxiety about things going wrong and that I have to jump in and fix them. And sometimes you actually just need to sit back and let them play out. You know, if someone's hurting, you need to stop and validate that and, and help them through that, not just jump to, well, we need to make that stop. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, wait, you didn't even hear me. I'm, I'm telling you I'm upset, and you're not even willing to talk about it. You're just rushing off to fix it. So that's, right. you know, stuff I had to work on. So, so here you are, the fixer, yeah. and your wife has something that to all uh, appearances is unfixable. Yeah. So, I mean, what you said, like, that was the turning point. I'm having trouble seeing it. Like for me, for me to think about, okay, I've got to work on myself would be the last thing that would come to mind. Well, so the reason why that's where I went to is it's not that I wasn't working on everything else, but I realized a few things in that moment. So when I got off the phone with that doctor, I walked into our bedroom and my son was in there and he was looking at his mom in bed. And I came in and I saw him looking on at her and her there. And, you know, it's not like she was out of it, but, she was not, she's not herself. Um, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks is, you know, this, this is not what I ever expected. Like every spouse runs the risk of losing their spouse unless you go first. Typically you're in your like eighties or nineties when that happens, not in your early thirties, just starting your life together. So this is not a situation I, you know, could have ever imagined being prepared for. 
and I work full time and I'm most likely about to be a single father, um, let alone a widower. Like it's, it's a lot to take on all at once. And what I realized in that moment is this poor little boy is watching his mother die and watching his father die just at a slower rate because I'm miserable and I'm getting fatter and I'm, you know, like, I don't feel good. I'm, I'm sure not a joy to be around because I was pretty upset all the time and, you know, a really short fuse and feeling just like the sky was, was coming in, you know, just getting dark all around me. Um, and this poor little boy didn't deserve that. You know, I think about the things that drove me emotionally to have the issues that I had and the weight problems. Well, losing a parent is a hell of a lot worse than what I went through. And I just felt this profound responsibility towards him and love towards this, you know, incredible little boy. And I also realized my wife doesn't stand a chance if I don't change how I'm engaging with her. And I don't, you know, I'm not helping right now. I'm keeping things afloat, but I'm not actually helping her get any better. So that, that all hit me. And that was really profound. It was a profound sense of purpose. And what it ultimately was about was who I was to myself. Like, am I living the life I actually want to live? Or I, I just wrote about this in an article the other day, but I use the phrase, are, are you living your life or are you an employee of it? You know, it's like my wife and son were the family and I was that guy who worked there. Hmm. And that's not on them. That's on me. And that's just, that is not what I wanted for my life. And I'm sure it's not what anyone wants for their life. So, you know, all of it just came together that night. And when I woke up the next morning, I didn't choose to feel different. I just did. Like it was so powerful. Like I finally knew what I was supposed to be feeling for myself. And once I had that clarity, I couldn't not go for it. Like that was so, it still is so motivating for me. Have a life with purpose instead of just kind of working through it. So how is that different from your uh, breakfast Danish mornings where 20 minutes into your resolve, it crumbled? Yeah. Uh, what, what, what happened on July 1st, 2011 that so was different? What I didn't need anymore was willpower. And it's not to say there aren't tough moments, um, but I don't, I don't think willpower and discipline are the ultimate answer. They can get you through in the short term, and that might have earned me 20 minutes, or maybe it earned me a day where I was really good, and then I'd overly reward myself the next day because I was good yesterday. What I woke up with was it wasn't about like tricks to get by. It was, this is who I am, you know, and who I am is a better man than this, as a, as a man who will achieve, a man who has specific goals and knows how to go after them. It's like, I, I talked to someone who used to be a smoker and he had tried to quit like six or seven times. And one day he did, and he did a cold turkey. And I was like, what was the difference? And he said, I was always a smoker who was trying to stop. And the last time I just said, I'm a non-smoker. And he's like, and that was it. And, you know, maybe that doesn't work for everyone, but that's kind of how I went about it. Like I wasn't, I wasn't the fat kid who was trying desperately not to eat that thing I wanted so badly, which is how I was thinking about it before. I was a fit person or a healthy person or a successful person or a good father or whatever the context is, who was just doing that. And it was that different framing. It wasn't, you know, like I had spent so much of my life putting myself down, either directly or through others or, you know, whatever, negativity and, and a lack of self-love. That's what was different. And I had really specific things I wanted to address. And so I set really specific goals. And I 
built a way to track like you know for the weight loss and exercise it was just put together a little spreadsheet in excel um there were some other things in my job you know really was in a very political and unhappy situation at work and so i mapped out like where do i want to go with this what what don't i like about it what do i need to be different and and obviously you know what was going on with my wife and um and our family situation there's no mapping that out but I did have to stay very conscious in every moment in terms of how I was interacting with her. You know, I was frustrated too. So when I hear her start to spiral with, with her fears of what was going on, um, you know, to not just be like, you need to stop doing this or stop saying those, you know, like stop and be her husband for a minute. She needs you, you know, she doesn't need you to start telling her what to do differently. Um, and that, that like all of those things were really specific, but made a really big difference. And the last one was, I, I needed to get help for me and I had spent so much time really just talking myself out of it, why it was impossible, you know, especially with her illness, like I can't leave the house or we can't be spending money on, on me when you spend it on her. Um, and she had been pushing me to do it the whole time. So, you know, I knew I had her support and I finally just stopped fighting it. And that was pretty crucial. It didn't solve everything, but it certainly unlocked a lot of things that I really wasn't able to come to grips with on my own. So I, I feel like, you know, the rest of the story is details. Yeah. <laughs> give it, give the way you've described this, this waking up with this new, new mindset. So I want, I'd like to explore it further because, you know, you, you talked about uh, fast food enlightenment mm. and that not happening. But there is, there is an element of an instantaneous shift here. For me, there and, was, yeah. And, and I think that's the only way change actually ever happens is, you know, it's like the bud pops out of the ground in a, in a minute, even though there's been a lot of preparation yeah. for it. So, like, I can hear people say, OK, so I've got to love myself. I've got to take myself seriously. I've got to have a purpose. And they're going to, you know, glom mm -hmm. onto some affirmation or mantra. And then all the old voices are going to come up. And tell them why this is going to be just like all the other times. Mm. So did did that happen for you? Did the did the naysayers chorus suddenly like crank to eleven? Um, whether it was eleven or not, I don't remember. But there's there's always going to be naysayers internally or externally. So all that's true. What what's really different here is it's not about um, the change being forced upon you in a moment. So you know like. For, for people that I've worked with that are like, well, you know, I'm not facing death or I was on a podcast with a Navy SEAL was blown out of his vehicle and left for dead in the desert. Like, you know, that didn't happen to me. No one's pointed a gun in my face. Okay, that doesn't mean you can't change. So I do think you're, I, I do agree with you that there's often this kind of epiphany moment, but it doesn't have to be forced upon you all of a sudden. And that's, that's what's not fast food about it. That's where, you know, just because you haven't had the life or death kind of you know, all of a sudden in your face moment, you can still get there. It just takes work. It takes introspection. It takes questioning. It takes pushing. So while I had that all of a sudden, I get it moment, there's so much I still didn't get that I still had to work through. I just kind of had it in the reverse order. You know, the epiphany came first and then all the discovery and, and the unpacking happened. For a lot of people, it's the other direction. You do the unpacking first and then it clicks and, and you get it. Hmm. So what did you do? that first day that was, that, you know, that, that I'm trying to figure out how I want to 
phrase this, just, just that these, these thoughts are so persistent and the self-image of, of not being enough, of not, not being able to control your, your future. Like, did any of those, did they just all go away at that point? Or no. did, you, did you have to, even that first day, were there strategies you yes. used? And I'm, really, I'm really asking for yeah. all the people who, who, who want this so badly and, and feel like, as they're listening to this, that, that you must be some sort of a different species. <laughs> I wish. Um, so the voices don't go away, but here's the difference, is before, those voices were running the show. So those were the boss and I was the employee, you know, to, to harp on that analogy about being an employee of your life. The difference here is I was being mindful. And so I was calling the shots and I recognized I'm actually the one living this life, not the judgment inside of me, not the judgment of others externally. These are my choices. So I was aware of those voices and not just taking my orders from them. So there's a, a big piece of the whole philosophy is about mindfulness. And it's, you know, in this moment, what can you do in pursuit of your goals? What can you do in pursuit of being better? And it's this moment. It has nothing to do with the past and has nothing to do with the future. So that's why, you know, those voices come from before or they come from your fear of what's yet to happen. So, you know, you're, you're too fat to be able to run or, you know, you're too argumentative to get along with people or to be a good husband or to be a good dad or you're too whatever. You have too much that's about to hit you in the face. You can't stop and play with your son because if you do, you know, dinner won't get made and the laundry won't get done and blah, blah, blah. And actually, none of those things is happening right now, the things from the past or the things in the future. So if you, if you can cancel out that noise, which isn't just flip a switch, it's an active conscious decision you have to make and often keep making in the moment be present in the right now and make a choice that's actually in support of the greater goals that you're trying to achieve but just release the anxiety and the judgment you're going to get so much farther in life and what you find is those things that you're judging yourself for that you're afraid of taking place either you disprove the things you're judging yourself for or the things you're afraid of happening don't even play out because you've lived differently you know, the, the world falling apart doesn't end up happening somehow because you actually made a better choice and you got yourself further along. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it takes some willpower, not, maybe not willpower, but intention and mindfulness to look for the positive proof. Because yeah. there's always going to be proof of, of whatever you want to prove, right? <laughs> yeah, have- and that's, that's so hard because a lot of us, um, you know, in a professional setting, that's what many people are rewarded for at work is, you know, oh, you found this big inefficiency or you, you spotted that big problem and you fixed it. Or I was a management consultant for six years. That's exactly what my job was. Go around and find the negatives and get rid of them. You know, so like we're rewarded by focusing on what's wrong, including with ourselves. So yeah, you don't, you don't naturally look at what's good. I mean, listen to people when, you know, you, you go to someone's house for dinner and they make whatever and it's delicious and you compliment them like, oh, I think this was a little burned or that need a little more. They don't just say, thank you. I really enjoyed it too. Because yeah. that, that would be weird, right? And you hear people like, oh, I'm so tired. I only slept four hours last night. And the next guy's like, four, what are you, a baby? I slept for three hours. What's wrong with you? You know, you got an easy life. It's like we're proud of how miserable everything must be. And that's, that's just like, let go of that. Actually allow for yourself to be good, to be okay. It's, uh, it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, but actually that to me, like that first stop of, of practicing self-love as corny or cheesy as that may sound, 
so much comes from that when you actually just allow for the positive examples to be just to just to be like just to exist yeah and one one of the things i've discovered is that the you know the more yes i am to the world the more i annoy people who oh, aren't. they can't stand it right <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, so I've been comfortable in that, you know, in that crowd for so long and all of a sudden, like, like it's the scariest thing in the world to be innocent and positive yeah. around people that where, where the, the dynamic has always been, well, let's, let's be cynical. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not self-deprecating, you don't fit in somehow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I'm still on that journey. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of people are, and that's okay. I mean, it, we all do it. Um, and so I just, I try to catch myself and just stop talking before that word, but comes out of my mouth. Cause that's usually where it's going to turn. Yeah. That's a, that's a good trigger for, uh, for, for self-examination. So, so July 1st, you, you had this new outlook, this new game plan, you didn't have any more knowledge than you'd had the day before. No, so I didn't. Did you, so how did you go about figuring out what to do? Well, that was the cool thing is all of the I can'ts were irrelevant because I was still the same person. So I knew how to work out. I had done that before, and I was just not really being pre- present in it. So, of course, I wasn't getting anywhere. I, would, I worked out every morning. I got on the elliptical, and I'd you know, hit start. And then I put a magazine over the screen and start reading or, you know, not paying any attention to what was going on. And next thing I know it's beeping cause it's done. And maybe I was slightly clammy, but I wouldn't quite call it sweaty. Mm. Um, so that first day I'm like, you know what, there's different programs on this thing. I'm not going to put a magazine over the screen. I'm going to put on an interval program. And when the interval hits, I'm going to bust it. And I did. And I was exhausted at the end of it. I did a half an hour, you know, whatever, whatever intensity setting with one minute intervals. And, um, yeah, that last one, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but it doesn't matter. Cause I'm going to do it anyway. I just kept going. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I mean, I was totally spent. I was drenched with sweat, but I had this eerie smile on my face. I was like, yeah, that was awesome. Um, and I, like, I felt energized as much as I felt drained. And I went to, uh, I went to my computer after showering and drying off. And, uh, I, I just wrote down what I did. Like I wrote the time, the distance and the calories. And I was like, that was, that was pretty cool. I'm going to see if I can do at least the same tomorrow, if not better. And that was it every day I did that. And I was like, I should build this out, like map out the rest of the year. But I also knew my weight because I weighed myself that morning and I was 222. And I was like, if I should be 180, let's call it 185 by the end of the year. So just I have 40 pounds, July 1st to December 31st. That's my goal. I'm going to do it because I lost more than that. You know, I lost over hundred or around hundred pounds before. Um, like I knew I could do this, but I also knew this wasn't like losing five pounds or something. It was a real amount of weight that would have to do specific conscious things for, I, you know, if you want to lose five pounds, I don't even really know what you do about that. Maybe you don't eat today and then you get there. Right. That's not like, that's just not relevant. Um, but if I lost a hundred pounds, I'd probably die. Like that was too much. So 40 pounds or 37, whatever it was, 38 pounds. Um, you know, that was a good relevant amount of weight for me to lose. 
and it was real. Like it definitely would have to be conscious of it. I was going to track it every day. And, um, I decided when I went to work, I was like, I'm going to take this energy I've got. I don't know what it's about. Like I still hadn't really paused on it, but I'm going to be more conscious of what's going on at work to try to figure out like, what are the things that are really bothering me and making me feel like this is a bad place. And what are the things that actually I'm really enjoying? And I just made a list throughout the day. Um, and it's just like, you know, that was going to be a slow burn because there was a lot to unpack from it. And it was, you know, I'd like, I wasn't just going to stop working, especially not with the bills that were racking up, um, you know, with my wife's health, but I at least needed to plot the course of how do I make that better. So what I'll say is in terms of my weight, um, I didn't get to my goal of 185 by the end of the year. I got there by my birthday, which was in October, and I got to 180 pretty soon after that. So I was 180 before the end of the year, which is awesome. And that's where I really should be. And I've since then, I've been between like 178 and 182 pretty much every day. When I was marathon training, I got down to like 169 on those long run days. As a vegan, it can be a little bit tricky to get enough calories. Um, but uh, generally, my weight's been really consistent for the past six years now. And um, I just, I, I don't really have to think about it. It's a part of who I am. It's not like, I don't try to willpower myself into working out. It's just what I do and I enjoy it. And it, you know, it feels good. Right. And it's, you know, I just, I kind of wish ever, I could sort of, you know, inject people with that experience of finishing a sucky workout. Yeah. Because it's, you know, I guess I've, I've seen a saying like there's, I've never like regretted a workout. Mm. Right? And, the, and the worse it is, the worse it feels, the better I feel for having completed it. Yeah. Yeah, I went through, uh, <laughs> I took a picture of myself after every long run when I was, when I was doing the marathon training. And uh, there's some hilarious ones in there, but every single one I was like, Oh, that was awesome. Not like that picture, but like I remembered that run and there were some that actually had some really, really grueling moments in them, like painful, or there were a couple where just like horrific downpours, um, you know, just miserable, but at the same time, like kind of awesome, you know? Um, I loved looking at that. I just looked at them the other day. I loved that. I was like, those were incredible. I was beat and, felt so capable and so in touch and it was, it was great it's great really tough workouts are absolutely are the best so um you started working out yeah and at that's at this point did you have a pretty clear sense of what your relationship with food was and and what what kind of um you know emotional distraction or numbing it was doing for you yeah, I did at that point, um, but up until then, I hadn't been able to break that cycle. So I was aware of it. You know, that's the first step. But um, I had just kind of decided, you know, I'm thin enough. Like I don't look fat anymore. Like my wife's not going to leave me because I'm fat. So, um, you know, it's not like when I was a kid. Like you know, especially in your teenage years, you're like, no girl's going to like me. It was a big deal to me then, but like I wasn't worried about those things anymore, but I had just sort of succumbed to the idea that it's really powerful and there's a lot of history and emotion behind it. And that's just like, that's who I'm going to be. I may never be obese again and that's good enough. Mm -hmm. 
so I, I used to say, like, I spent the first half of my, my life obese and the second half trying not to be. And if you think about it, like, what a pathetic way to be. Like, so what do you do? Oh, I try not to be fat. That, that's pretty lame. So I'm not, I don't do that anymore. I don't need to try not to be fat. Because it's like, you know, you're a smoker who's trying to quit. So I just... Um, right, well, the, gra- the gravity of the, of the identity is always going to be pulling you always, back. Always, yeah. Like, why does my identity have to do anything with whether I'm fat or not? So this is just who I am. I don't happen to be fat. Not that that's relevant or not. Um, but I did, I did feel very differently about... Um, you know, it's like we're saying with those inner voices and, and the judgment. Like, the emotions that led me to be fat before... Uh, why did those have to call the shots? You know, and, and you get to work to, to not have them calling the shots, but it was just the realization that just because that's been my story and just because those scars are there, it doesn't mean they can't heal. Now I'm going to have to do something to get them to heal. There's a lot around the divorce and my, you know, my upbringing and my role throughout my childhood and into early adulthood in relation to my parents. And just, there was a lot to unpack with that, but I did. And it doesn't mean I'm done and it doesn't mean things don't get to me now and then like I'm human, Um, but it doesn't have the same power over me. And if I do get down, I just need to think through it, think about what's going on and, and just be really conscious with, okay, like this is, this is why this is bothering you. You know, maybe talk to my wife about it or talk to a friend or or someone that I confide in. Um, And I get through it. I don't just go turn to a stack of Oreos, which are incidentally vegan now. So I guess I could, but um, yeah. I guess with, there's so, no food in them, so they count as vegan. Yeah. So, so what did you decide to do about food? Were you just going to cut out the obvious things like the, the, the Danish and the Oreos, or were you going to eat less? Like, what, what was your first impulse, yeah. and what did you do? Well, so I had been eating better, um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that I had so far to go anymore, um, but... And I will say this is one area where I cheated pretty hard is with my wife's health. She, while this was going on, um, some of the things she discovered led her to a very, really, some people would say restrictive diet. I would just say clean. Um, but she's very limited in what she can eat because she reacts to a lot of things. Um, and so I will say it's a lot easier to eat right when the person across the table from you isn't eating Cheetos and ice cream. So I didn't have the same temptation. Like when we were, you know, before our son was born and we lived in the city, like we live in this really cool part of Boston and there's all these little shops and ice cream places, whatever. And it's like, you know, you want to get ice cream? Yeah, of course I do. And, you know, like I say, relationships are really bad for your waistline. They can be. Um, So, you know, I didn't have that temptation from her. Um, And then it was just about me making individual choices in the moment. And that that's really like, that's one of the key things about do a day is it's not like, Oh my God, I'm never going to eat this ever again. It's that it doesn't matter if I'm going to eat it ever again or not. I'm just not going to have it right now. I don't need to worry about like, you know, for eternity. Cause that's a lot of weight to carry. No pun intended. Like, Oh my God. You know, and then you start to think about it obsessively. You start to be like, well then I just have to have one more. Yeah. So it's just like, I just don't care. And that, that was a big part of it is like, why, like food is not an emotion, yet it feels that way. So consciously breaking that. So if, having a feeling about food, it's just fuel for my body. And it can be good fuel, but 
it's it's not something that like you should be longing for loving or and you know that that was a really big change for me because food was my therapist so like I, I had to i had to break up with my therapist or fire my therapist in a way but that's it never well, made not, me feel better not not only that but you just said probably the most heretical thing i've ever heard in this culture which is that food is not something you should be longing for or loving yeah like if you say that to people, they will, you know, get apoplectic. Yeah, yeah. Like you're, you know, if you, you know, tell your kids, you know, no, I'm not going to get you ice cream. You're, you know, you're a bad father. You're. I think you have a, you have a story in the book, right, about your own dad. Yeah. Right. The, crit- the criticizing pizza. you. But yeah, the pepperoni yeah. pizza that you didn't even that your child said no, I don't want. And, I had and you, nothing and to you, do with it. <laughs> yeah. Right, like that's that's a cultural norm. Is that food ha- has to be emotional? Yeah. Oh, there's entire channels on TV that are dedicated. To, I mean, the Cooking Channel, Food Network. That's all. Like everything is about the emotion of it, and it's every family event is around food. I remember my my father was saying, um, he's like, "Oh, we'll go for dinner." I was like, "You know what? Could we just like could we just get together when we're not just going out to eat?" Like, we don't need to go for dinner. I mean, that's fine, but everything is a meal. So did you change your diet based on your wife's self-experiments on what restrictive foods, you know, what foods helped and didn't help? Or did you, I know you've mentioned vegan a few times. How did you get there? So I wasn't vegan yet. Um, Her diet was not my diet. It's just that she wasn't tempting me because she she has uh, more of a sweet tooth than I do probably. Um, and she was just naturally thin. So she didn't seem to put on weight where I would. Um, so, you know, I just didn't have the temptations there, but I, I started to make some better choices. I picked up, uh, the four hour body from Tim Ferriss. I'd heard him on a podcast and he talks all about the slow carb diet. So I, I went with that. Um, you know, I got really into what he was talking about and I brought in some of his workout ideas to give them a try. And generally things went pretty well. Um, the the thing that never really worked for me or didn't feel right was cheat day. I mean, it was an interesting idea in that it sort of, uh, you know, this whole idea that like, you don't need to worry about never having something again. I, I really didn't. Cause I could be like, I just write it on my list for Sunday. Be like, you know, have a donut on Sunday or eat a whatever. You know, what's funny is actually it was fruit that often was on my cheat day list. Huh. Cause you can't eat fruit on the slow carb diet cause it's too sugary. And that just never sat right with me. So I was like a grapefruit was the first thing I would have on cheat day. I was like, Oh, now I'm going to have a grapefruit, which I know probably sounds really lame to lots of people. But for me, it was like, I love grapefruit and it's forbidden. So I found myself, you know, sometimes I'd have some, some more typical cheaty kind of things, but actually it was just like, I just want some fruit. Um, so little by little, like when I would truly cheat the way that he would push you to, because he really pushes it hard. He's like, you should go all out to the point that you're like about to puke. So you don't want it again, I guess. Um, but it, it really made me feel miserable. And I lost weight and, and definitely got into shape. And that's probably part of why it went as quickly as it did. But every Sunday and into Monday, I just I felt sick. And that is not really interesting to me. Um, so I, I gave that like six or eight months. I got my body where I wanted it to be. And then I stopped doing slow carb, but I had picked up a lot of lessons from it around my, um, intelligence around sugar. 
you know, how much added sugar. And so I made smarter choices like that. I had figured out a few meals that, you know, fit the slow carb diet that actually I really enjoyed and were easy to make. So I've, you know, just changed my whole eating routine. It wasn't, it wasn't a very conscious thing. Like maybe, it, maybe I had it easy in that respect. I think, I really do think not having the temptation around made it much easier. But um, mm. I just, I, I gave myself to not the process, but just the idea of you're a healthy person. And that really changed things for me. Like I, I remember I said, um, the first time I called myself an athlete and I felt super weird. The first time I said I was a runner. Like I was on the phone with someone I was in my basement and uh, he's like, you know, so what do you do for exercise? I've noticed you've lost all this weight. I'm like, oh, I'm a runner. I looked left and looked right. Like someone saw me just say that like, oh man, I'm going to have to explain myself now. They're going to be like, he's lying. <laughs> but I, like, it just felt, you know, it's the fat kid. Oh, you're not a runner. Um, but I just, I just allowed for the idea that, you know, I eat well, that I'm an athlete, that I'm a runner, that I'm whatever. Right. And, and that, 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 re that reminds me of something that, uh, that Josh Lajani's talked about, which is, you know, the thing that got him to a really healthy whole food plant-based diet was not a whole food plant-based diet. In his case, it was paleo. Mm -hmm. But what he did was he did something different and then noticed the results. Right. He, didn't, he didn't get married to it. And it sounds like you did the same things. So you tried Tim Ferriss for more than half a year and you took what was good and ended up dropping the stuff that didn't work for you. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I forced a lot of the, um, the cravings to break. You know, like I was always a cookie guy. Um, and I just, you know, you, you don't need them. Um, and so I very quickly like broke a lot of those, you know, if there were cookies or cake or whatever at work, I was really, really good about following the diet. I was going to say strict, but that's very negative. So I was really good about following the rules on slow carb. So I really did retrain myself from a lot of those habits I'd had before. And yeah, cause and effect. I saw it happen. Um, and so I was interested. So when you did, were you doing the cheat day, were you having the cookies and things? It seems to me like if you're, if you're breaking cravings and then you're having them once a week, yeah. you're not really breaking cravings. No. So most of it really was fruit. Um, I, I'm just going to admit this. I had McDonald's twice during cheat days and that, I've never gotten as sick from food. I've had salmonella twice, so maybe excluding that, I got so instantly sick the two times that I did that. Um, what else did I have? Well, one was like my son's birthday, you know, and I had like two pieces of cake um, or three, uh, you know, had like pizza or something like this. So like I would have cheese, but I, I wasn't I wasn't giving in to the baked goods in the way that I actually thought I would. It's so funny. As a kid, I used to dream of like the, the Boston cream donut was, that was my jam. And I used to dream of like, when I go to college and no one's around to keep me from eating this, I'm going to go every day and buy a dozen Boston cream donuts. And, and I didn't do it once. And I remember, cause I wasn't obese in college. So I was like, I looked back on it and I was like, you know, I broke a promise to myself. Like what a waste. I could have at least done it once just for the sake of like, you know, following through on the promise. But yeah, I just, I didn't, it's funny, like I should have, right? If that's what I was craving, but I just didn't naturally do it. And I wasn't going to force feed it just because, you know, it's cheat day, so you have to eat all this stuff. I didn't want it. I didn't have it. It was more just like the rules don't apply, so do what you want. Gotcha. So how did you um, make your way from, from slow carb to plant-based? Uh, in one day. 
and that's that's the the truth about it. Is I was reading uh, Rich Roll's book Finding Ultra, and I read a few other uh, vegan ultra athlete books, um, and just you know I was interested, but then I would just go into all of the what ifs, like oh you know what if I have a business trip and we go to a steak place and there's nothing for me to eat, and um, you know what if I'm traveling and the only places to get any food is at a gas station, they're not going to have like a salad bar. Or what if it's my son's birthday and he wants me to have a piece of cake with him and I'll be like, no, you know, I won't do that. It's just, I, I started to go through all of these scenarios and then it, it just hit me as I, I was reading Rich's book and he just kind of calls it out. It's like, you really don't have an excuse not to try it. And I just said like it was like eight 30 at night or something. And, and you know, so I, it was too late for me to go do any planning about it. I was just like, you know what? None of those things I keep saying is happening tomorrow. I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm going to the office. That's it. Not you know I'm not flying anywhere. It's not my son's birthday. It's not like pizza. To, like there's nothing I can just. I, I said out loud. I was like I can do a day. And when I said that, I was like that's an interesting phrase. That's kind of what I've been doing, just not aware of it. So I, I hung on to that phrase. Little did I know I'd write a book by the title later. But um, I woke up. I you know went into work like I had breakfast, which normally I would have eggs in the morning. So obviously I didn't do that. But I had a pro. A, it was a vegan protein shake that I happened to be using anyway. I had some quinoa and vegetables, which is like, there's your protein. And I happen to love quinoa. Um, and I went to work and I usually get a salad anyway. So I just didn't get chicken on the salad. And when I came home, I don't, I don't even remember what I had for dinner, but I think I might have like roasted root vegetables, which I happen to love. Um, and I was, I was like, that was the easiest day because with slow carb, you have to scrutinize everything. Like, you know, I had to read through every single ingredient and make sure, like, you know, the last one is the one thing that Tim Ferriss says you can't eat. So it's like, it just had been so much work. And eating vegan, especially if you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you can pretty easily tell if there's a piece of steak sitting in the middle of your food. You know, if it's, like, highly processed, you got to look at the ingredients. Um, but, you know, maybe there's a vegan label on it, which is helpful. There's no slow carb label on things generally. Um, but yeah, like if you're having whole food diet, like it's sitting right in front of you. Can you not tell that there's bacon on it or that it's got <laughs> cheese crumbled on it? It's pretty obvious. So I was just like, oh, I didn't have to think. And remember that grapefruit? I had a grapefruit at lunch, you know, and I didn't get in trouble for it. Like I had carrots in my salad, which are a no-no on the slow carb diet because they're really sugary. Like mm -hmm. That's just like, what do you, I can't eat a carrot? That's ridiculous. So it's just, it was so freeing and, and it was freeing because I wasn't putting all that, like all these what ifs of things that weren't even happening. And, um, you know, I haven't been a hundred percent vegan a hundred percent of the time. I've been a hundred percent vegan, probably like 98% of the time. And when I haven't been, it's okay. It doesn't mean it's all over. I just go back to it later. So was there, was there something that convinced you or was it all sort of experimentation and personal it was experimentation and so you know you, you weren't like you because you, you know you're not mentioning like you know the books that are near and dear to my heart with the 400 studies and i didn't know about and the yet. charts and graphs and yeah. things but you you arrived at the same thing just through self-experimentation yeah. and the sniff test like rich roll looks pretty good and he looked pretty i mean you know he's kind of the guy who looked like you right yeah. not never obese but clearly american yeah and oh, then on the cover on the cover of his book he, he looks like is you know, the picture from where it's like, yeah, the fittest man in the world. Rich was obese. I mean, he, he nearly collapsed before his 40th birthday on his way up the stairs the night before. 
he had to pause to catch his breath walking up the stairs. And I was like, yeah, I get that. I've been there. But I just, I just gave up on all of the, I don't know, the, the, like the power of it and just said like, I'll try it. And like, I, you can do anything for a day, no matter how hard it is. And so I did. And I discovered how easy it was when I stopped caring. And it's then on day two, I was like, you know what? I'll do it again today. I've got some of that quinoa left over. I might as well. And like, you know, day two is just as easy. And next thing I know, it's been six months and then a year and I'll be three years in January. And I've learned all the other stuff along the way. And I've looked into, you know, the other books and there's plenty of other people to follow. I think my wife thinks I have a crush on ritual. Like I've got a crush on lots of people now. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting because I got into it out of knowing it's probably better for me, but I didn't really know enough. I knew like clearly there's proof that you can, you know, not just survive, but you can thrive. Like all of the top ultra athletes in the, the really major endurance space they're pretty much all vegan or really close to it. Um, you know, it's like, obviously you can do a lot more than just survive. So I can try it for a day. And I, I ran a marathon as a vegan. I've done uh, one of my two century rides was after I went vegan. Like I've, I've achieved a lot and somehow I've lived through all of it and I still get protein. So mm. it's, you know, it's been a really good thing. And I'm much healthier than I've ever been. And this is where the whole not trying to be fat thing actually came from is, I don't work out to manage my weight at all. I work out because I really enjoy it. I don't care about my weight because my weight doesn't move anymore. I just had knee surgery last month. I'm just starting to work out again. I'm the exact same weight as I was before the surgery. Now, like, yeah, my fat and muscle content changed a little bit and atrophy and whatever, but I'm not managing my weight through exercise because I don't have to. Right, right. Exercise is about exhilaration and performance. Yeah. It's about me. It's not about not being fat. So I know you said we have a hard stop in a couple of minutes, but so we we have to um, find out how your wife's doing. My wife is uh, so she still has her illness, but it's not it's not killing her, which uh, sounds less amazing than it is. That's a pretty huge deal. Um, She's grown tremendously. It it, I always liken it to uh, having an unreliable car. So when you get in your car and, you know, it's making that noise or it's shaking, and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get where I'm going. Okay, well, imagine the car is your body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, every day there's, there's a pain or there's a something. And unfortunately, a lot of them are very similar to what she experienced when it all spiraled out of control. So you always, you know, there's that vigilance and self-protection of, is it happening again? Which is a very natural reaction. But, man, that's some anxiety to live with. So... She's uh, grown a lot more resilient and able to manage that anxiety, but it does hit her hard sometimes, and it it hits me. You know, there's there's sometimes where she'll be saying like, "I think it's happening again," and part of me is saying it may be, but I don't I don't want to let on for her because that's not what she needs right then. Um, but on the whole, she's doing a lot better. And our son, um, you know, you mentioned the time where he wouldn't eat this uh, horrible looking pizza my father was eating, but he makes really good food choices for himself and he's normal and he likes ice cream and like he, he still, he still has like, he had French toast with whipped cream on it last night. He's not vegan, um, obviously, but, uh, generally he makes really good food choices every day because that's what he's grown up with. So, you know, there's like as corny as it sounds, there's silver linings to this and we just take advantage of them. Well, so I want, I want to let you go so you can do your thing. But first, for 
like you help people, right? Take take journeys like this, improve yeah. their lives. You're a, a a health coach and and more. Can you just give people a you know a thirty second uh, commercial for sure. where they where they can find you and what you uh, might be able to help them with? Yeah. So everything that I do, I put on the Do a Day website. It's doadaybook.com. Um, so obviously the book's there and you can buy it there. It's, it's for sale everywhere, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and it's like every format, um, not just the, but friendly, uh, paperback, but it's, you know, on eBooks and, and audiobooks as well. Um, but then I also do, I, I would just call it life coaching. It's really whatever you need coaching. Um, whatever anyone comes to me for is typically a gateway drug. We don't just work on one thing cause life doesn't work that way. People come to me for, you know, for weight management or something. They don't understand why I'm asking them deeper questions about them. I work with people in their career on really anything that you're facing in life, but it is pretty holistic. So I'm going to touch on everything. Um, and then I, I do uh, public speaking as well. I've got a TED talk that I'm doing in March in New Jersey. And I also write for Inc. Magazine and it's articles that are inspired by the book. Um, so it's on this whole, you know, overcoming difficulties, achieving, finding your motivation, typically in a professional setting since it's for Inc. But um, it's, a, it's a little way for me to give ideas from the book to people without, you know, without having to spend on it. So I enjoy doing that. That's every week at Inc.'s website. Great. So I'm sure there's a, there's a, a search phrase that will find you. I'll, I'll put that on the show notes for today's episode. Yeah. It, you just go to, uh, if you go to doadaybook.com, there's a link to the Inc., um, articles there are linked to Inc. It sounds like Dr. Seuss. You can get there pretty easily that way. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll resist the urge to, to continue to rhyme. And, uh, <laughs> and I am working people... on my second book. It's going to be probably late 2018 at this point. Uh, um, do a week? Do Yeah, that's, that's what everyone says. Or do the second day. Um, do a day is about relationship dysfunction with yourself. This one is about relationship dysfunction with others. So once you fix you, then we can move on to fixing those difficult relationships you've got. So that's something I'm working on right now. Nice, nice. I thought you'd say once you fix you, now you can fix everybody else. Well, yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> Maybe that's too much, but yeah, it's a start. <laughs> well, well, Brian Falchuk, it's so great to to talk to you to kind of hear how you kind of very pragmatically and mindfully came to the same place that you know a lot of us came to through through research or desperation or, or luck. Um, it just kind of reinforces, you know, my sense that we're, we're on a good path here and we're sharing a, uh, a positive and uplifting lifestyle. And uh, I want to, you know, wish you and your family all, all good things. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. That means a lot, Howard. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about that Big Change program starting soon, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit BigChangeProgram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at PlantYourself.com slash 251. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 250 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. In garden news, we left the covers off for the last big freeze, so everything above ground is dead. But the garlic and onions have started to come up, and we're looking forward to an aromatic spring and summer. 
In running news, I tweaked my back kind of bad over the weekend. Uh, lifting, you'll you'll be pleased to know, possibly uh, lifting the five gallon bucket of ice water. I bent down to pick it up, and something uh, tweaked and twerked, and I have just started running again. So I managed two miles yesterday for today, and have been doing a lot more sort of stretching and rolling on my hips and thighs and and calves than I've been doing so far. So hopefully this will teach me a good lesson that I will continue to remember. I had vowed not to go back to Leadville because I really did not enjoy that race. And I didn't even enjoy not enjoying it. But now I'm hearing from so many of the missing chins that they're going to Leadville. Their spouses are going to Leadville. They're bringing other friends to Leadville that I may end up going. It's uh, sometime in June. If you go to Leadville, just Google Leadville Marathon and half marathon, and you'll find it. So uh, it looks like peer pressure is going to haul my ass up that mountain one more time. And so be great to see you there. Time for the thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. Hear it. Hear it coming up now. You can find more of Will's music at willridenauer.com. And of course, thank you to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, as in... Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hathaway, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennedy, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barron, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, John Filkonofsky, David Bysak, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elizabeth Felton, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolan, Sarah Durkis, Ramos Turkis, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gilasir, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Bezov, Gio and Carol Marge, Tati, Jody Fusner, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lindman, Ron Cinnamon. Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Allen, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Band of Eden, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Organ, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Ruthless, Juliet Watkins, Greed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Bright, Ayu Rolls, Alinda Ayat, Julie Langholm, Edgar, Diesel, Tuzan Wakani, Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva La El, Heather O'Connell, Caroline Jensen, Cheryl, Cheryl, Sherry Orlikowski, of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Moretti, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, and Kirby Burton. For your generous support of the podcast, that's all for this week. Don't forget to check out BigChangeProgram.com if you'd like to turn your life around. And as always, be well, my friends. <laughs>